Thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity we have to study and ask you to bless and anoint this time and show us what you would want us to see through this lesson. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so we're continuing our story here in uh, 1 Kings 21. Last week we looked at uh, the Syrian king Ben-Hadad is defeated by God. He raises up another army. And the people had said, you know, their God is the God of the hills. We, he can't beat us, beat the God of the valley. And because they said that, God said, fine, I'm going to defeat them again. Because <laughs> uh, remember, Ahab is not somebody who's worthy of God's, God's uh, protection, but the people are attacking God. So he builds another army, and they're defeated. And Ahab is supposed to kill uh, King Benadad, and he did not. And then there's a curse pronounced on uh, Ahab and his family that they're going to die and that he's going to lose his, his dynasty. So now we start on chapter 21. And it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel hard by the palace of Ahab king of Samaria. And Ahab spoke unto Naboth saying, Give me your vineyard and I will that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard than it, or if it seem good to you, I will give you the worth of it in money. And Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it, forbid it of me that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers unto you. And Ahab came to his house heavy and displeased because of the word of Naboth the Jezreelite, who had spoken unto him, for he had said, I will not give you my, the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid himself down on his bed, turned his face away, and would eat no bread. <laughs> Spoiled bread, yes. All right. So we have here that Ahab has a second palace because remember the main palace is in Samaria. So approximately 30 miles north-northeast uh, north, of Samaria is Jezreel, Jezreel. And he has a palace there, and he looks out, and there's this beautiful, beautiful vineyard outside his palace. And he goes, this is really close. I should, I should go, go and get it. And so he goes out to Naboth, and he gives Naboth a really good offer. I mean, this is a valid offer. He's not saying, I want to steal it. He's not saying... Give it to me because I'm king. He goes out and says, I would like to have your field because it's so close to my palace and it'd make a great place to have my, my herbs and my vegetables. I will give you a better piece of land. I've got land all over Samaria. I will give you a better piece of land. Or if you don't like this, I will buy it for what it's worth. You know, and this is kind of an interesting situation. Ahab is king. But he's king over an Israelite nation. Even though they're not following God, they're not obeying God, he can't just demand the land because there's an idea in Israel that the land belongs to God and he's given it to the families and the families can't get rid of their land. And we're going to look in this because that's a, that is the answer that, that Naboth gives to him. Um, Naboth says, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. This comes from scripture in Leviticus 25. And we'll just read it because it talks about this whole thing here. Leviticus 25 starts out by talking about the year of Jubilee. 
every 50 years, all the debts of the people of Israel were forgiven. So if, if I was in debt, I sold my property, I could sell it for 50 years, you could buy it for up to the 50-year mark. Once that 50-year mark, so if I sold you my land and it was 25 years until the year of Jubilee, I would sell it to you for 25 years worth of use. And you would buy it for 25 years worth of use. At the end of the, that time, the land would revert back to the original owner so that it never left the family. All right? It was kind of, it was kind of, lease would be the best thing that we could say. We never sold it. All right. Uh, if I sold myself into slavery because I had debts at the end of 20, at the end of that 50 year mark, I would be freed. All right. Um, and God had rules in there that people didn't take advantage of it. Well, there's two years, two years to Jubilee. I'm going to go into debt real bad and sell myself and get, and give it out. You know, God had some rules about all of that. Um, so his attitude was, I can't sell this. And that's what I, uh, Leviticus 25, specifically 23 is where, we, where we're going to look at. The land shall not be sold forever. The land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners. And in all the land of your possession, you shall grant a redemption for the land. And so he's talking about the year of Jubilee. So in, this, in the ancient Israel, your family was given... When they went into the promised land, they were given their lands by lot. Each tribe had its lot. Each family within those tribes were given land. And that land was to be an eternal possession to that family. And so Nahab is saying, uh, Naboth is saying, I can't, I can't sell you my land because he knows the king wants it forever. This is not an Israelite king. He's not going to get it back in, in, at the end of the year uh, Jubilee. So he understands that Naboth is not planning to give him back his his land if he sells it to him. So he says, I can't do this. I can't sell my family's land to you. So this is, this is an interesting statement in the rest of this chapter. If you want to find out more about the year of Jubilee, read Leviticus 25 and it'll tell you all about the year of Jubilee. Um, the year of Jubilee is something that's very important to the, to the, to the Jews. It's when everything is going back to, to the person who owns it. Every 50 years. Now, every seventh year, they were to let their land rest and not, not plant it and not do any work for that seventh year and just live off the abundance of the previous year. And God promised, if you will honor me, I will give you a double harvest on, on year six and your, your land can rest. Mm -hmm. Now, we know nowadays by science, you know, that we, we need to let our land rest on, on the farm. So farmers now will... Uh, rotate their rotate their fields and rest them and and or at least plant different item uh, different products on them but God's plan was every seventh year your land totally rests and he said your land will go fallow grow wild and he says I will provide you enough food this, in the sixth year to to provide for you now when the children of Israel are at the end of their life into uh, uh, their nation God said one of the reasons that he was sending them into captivity was that they had gone for several hundred years, 490 years, without obeying the seventh year resting of the land. So God says, because you did not let your land rest for, seven, you know, for 490 years, you owe me 70 years of land being rested. And he sent them into captivity for 70 years. 
All right. Um, so we have this whole process going on, and Naboth is telling him, sorry, king, I can't do this. And as you said, Naboth is a spoiled brat. He goes back to the palace sulking. Lays down in bed, doesn't eat, and basically turns his back to everybody and faces the wall and not talking to anybody. This is, this is a great example of a king. <laughs> you know, uh, more like a two-year-old. <laughs> I didn't get my way. I'm just going to, I'm going to be in here and I am going to sulk. And, you know, this is, this is quite an interesting thing that's going on with him. Um, Ahab understood the law. I mean, obviously he understood the law, that this man had a legitimate right not to sell him the land. Otherwise, he'd have pressed him a lot harder. And he's also understanding that this is a follower of God who's not going to give him his land. Anybody else who was following the idols probably would have said, sure, king, no problem. You want to give me a better piece of property? Not, not a problem at all. I'll take this. But in this case, this is a follower of God and says, no, I can't give you my father's land. This is, this is a big deal. All right. Um, if it was inside the city, you can sell your house, but, but you can't sell your, sell your land out, you know, outside the, uh, inside the city. You could sell your house for permanent, but not, not outside on the land. Verse 5. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said unto him, Why is your spirit so sad, and you eat no bread? And he said unto her, Because I spoke with Naboth, the Jezreel, Jezreelite, and said unto him, Give me your, land, your vineyard and for money, or else, I, if it please you, I will give you another vineyard for, for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said unto him, Do you not govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be merry. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent them, sent the letters to the elders and the nobles that were in the city that dealing with Naboth. And she wrote in the letter saying, Proclaim a fast and let Naboth on, set Naboth on high among the people. And set two men, sons of Belial, before him to bear witness against him, saying, You did blasphemy God and the king, and then carry him out and stone him that he may die. All right, we're going to stop there because we're going to see that they're going to fulfill it. But Jezebel comes in. Now remember, Jezebel is a Zidonite. She is from north of Israel. She is from a royal family. In her world... If the king wanted the land, he got the land. All right, the king wasn't subject to God's laws in, in, in Zidon. So she's used to this idea. She does not understand really what's going on here. Ahab, at least, even though he's following Baal, he knows the rules of Israel and knows that he can't just take the land in the way that they're set up. She is from a more... Mono, uh, monarchy society that says the king is in charge, period, end of story. King wants something, king gets something. And she is going to work on telling him. So she goes into him and says, what's wrong with you? I think she starts out with the right attitude. Hey, what's wrong with you? Why are you so sad? What, what, what is going on? Why are you so sullen? Why are, what, what's going on? And then she said, then he goes into his little whiny fit, you know, that I, I didn't get the land that I wanted. You know, he, he would not give it to me. And Jezebel gets a little upset. Basically, she's thinking from her background, who is this man in the first place that will tell the king no? 
And then she's thinking, why is my wimpy husband not taking the land? All right. So she's kind of conflicted with all of this. She does not understand the laws of God that says he can't just go in and take this land. Um, and so she just says, I'll take care of it. Now, we have seen this all through. She is the one that has ordered all the prophets killed. She is the one that told Elisha that you're a dead man because you killed the prophets of Baal. And remember, he ran away and had to be sent back by God to, back, to, back to Samaria. Uh, she is a wicked woman. All right? uh, she is, does not understand Jewish ways at all. And she is a very wicked person. She has been in a situation where power corrupts and she has been corrupted. And so she comes in and says, well, I'll take care of this. You, you just leave it all. You know, you know honey, you, I'll take care of all of this. You just go back to bed, go get some food, and I will take care of getting this land for you. And she writes these letters and puts the seal of the king on it and sends these letters saying, this is what I want you guys to do. Hold a fast. Now, fasting was done when a big decision had to be made and you were putting yourself in mourning before God. And fasting is very important for us in a spiritual, spiritual uh, attitude. There are times when we should fast and give up and put our body in misery. And fasting can be something very interesting. Usually it refers to food. In our day and age, we might just fast television. There are people that would go crazy if they had to fast television. Or they don't use their cell phone. Or they don't use their cell phone. Or, I stopped or, in needles. I did that. I fasted from it, thinking about or, or what if my husband, you know. Yeah. Usually it's food because food is something that we absolutely must have. So when we give up on our eating for a day or a week or 40 days, whatever it might be that God has put on your heart, it's a big deal. Because we're saying, body, I'm not going to listen to your complaints about wanting. So they've, de they've declared a fast, which would be for food in this case. And basically that is saying we're, we're looking for a decision. We're, we're putting ourselves before God. And, they say, and she said, and you put Naboth in the head of the table. You put him on the dais. You put him on the, on the head table. He, he is to be the, the star of the show uh, for this. Even why they're going to have a table and why they're having a head on a fast, I have no idea. But they are. So basically she's saying you're going to have some kind of service. This might be the meal after the end of the fast too. All right, that they're talking about. They, get, they have their fast and at the end of the day, end of the day or two, they go and they have a big feast to, to break their fast. Uh, and it says, put Naboth there and two sons of Belial. Belial means worthless, ungodly men. Men that are willing to tell the lies that she's going to put, have them say. And she says, and then in the, at the end of this feast, you have them stand up and accuse him of blasphemy of God and the king. And then take him out and stone him because that's the, that's the penalty for blasphemy of God. Now she adds the king in there, which there's no penalty for blasphemy of the king in Israel. At least not death. All right. But to blasphemy God is a big deal. She understands the legal system really well. This is plausible denial, we call it in today's world. 
you know, the, the city did it. The city leaders did it. It wasn't, it wasn't us, it was them. They're the ones that killed him, you know. I have no idea why, they, why this happened. I, I, the king and I were in the, were in the palace. We weren't, we weren't uh, guilty of this. God is not going to buy that they're not guilty. <laughs> okay? Uh, God knows exactly what happened. Um, so this, this whole plot is hatched by Jezebel. Now, I am very surprised that she went through this much jump this much jumping through hoops because she would just in in my matter she'd just take the army down take take the land from Naboth but she wants to put it beyond all uh, legal grounds because I think in some ways yes she's a little bit aware she's a little bit aware that this is not Zidon this is this is Israel they have different laws so she's somewhat so she is going to make sure that this is put He's dead. He can't come back and claim his land. You know, we're going to make sure that he's, nobody else is going to uh, call on this land. And so in verse 10, excuse me, verse 11, And the men of the city, even the elders and the nobles who were, with, were the inhabitants of the city, did as Jezebel had sent unto them, and as it was written in the letters which she had sent to them, they proclaimed a fast and set Naboth on high among the people, and there came in two men, the children of Belial, sat before him, and the men of Belial witnessed against him, even against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth did blaspheme God and the king. And they carried him forth out of the city and stoned him with stones that he died. And they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth is stoned, uh, is stoned and is dead. All right, so they go ahead and carry it out. Now, these men are not faultless in this whole, whole deal. Uh, their mind is the, the, the king, because they look at it, it's got the king's seal on it. So as far as they're concerned, this is word of the king. The king told us to do this, so we're okay. Now, we have gone through court trials and, and said that if you do something wrong, even though you are told to do it by somebody in charge and it's a boss or a government, or, you are still wrong. That is God's standard. You are wrong to do something wrong no matter who tells you to do it. All right? So they're trying to, this whole thing is very, you know, convoluted. Jezebel writes in the name of the king, do this. They do it. And they're going to face consequences too, even though we don't see this. There's consequences for what they do. They have murdered a man in cold blood, and they know that they have done this. They have committed first-degree murder, and they aren't going to get away with it with God either. God always brings justice to, to people eventually. may not seem to be in our time the way we want it, but these people were going to face a punishment from God. And so they get up. To have a capital offense in Israel, you had to have two witnesses whose testimony agreed. So these two guys got up and said, both of them said, he is blasphemy. We both have heard him blasphemy God and the king. Blasphemy is a capital offense in, in Israel, or was at that time. Uh, there were a lot of capital offenses in, in Israel. Uh, and the really sad thing is these guys, by the law, had to be the first ones to throw the stones at Naboth as well. 
The person who testified against them had to be the first ones to cast the stone. The idea was that you weren't, you know, you weren't going to carry it so far that you would also kill the person that you had, that you had lied about. So the, they had to be the first ones, and then the rest of the people were to cast in. And you know, We think that this is a very barbaric way of killing somebody, but it was the way that the whole town participated in cleaning out sin. The whole town had to go and be, be, be participant, or at least all the people who sat in the trial—all the people who sat in the trial—had to be. And the ones who made the accusation had to be the first ones to throw, throw the stones. And remember, we've talked about this. We're not talking about little tiny rock. We're talking about rocks that took two hands. You put over your head and you threw down into the pit that this guy was thrown into. All right, Naboth, a completely innocent man is accused and murdered by basically Jezebel, but also by the leaders of this, of this town because they cooperated. Now on their side, they understand. You know, if they say no to Jezebel, they know that the army's coming down to take it. They're northern, northern Israel. So they live in Israel, even though it's now... It's the Samaritan area. It's the northern kingdom. So they are Israelites. Theoretically, they follow the laws of God. All right? But not completely. All right? Uh, they're mostly following Astoroth and Baal and all this. But on the undercore of this, they're still practicing Passover. They're, you know, they're, still, pass, they're still doing the, the Jewish thing as well. This is why God is so angry with them all the time. It's not even like they've totally turned away from him. They're showing that they believe him and yet doing the worship of all the idols, trying to have it both ways. All right. Uh, we're going to follow God. You know, we're, we're just doing it. We're just doing it in ceremony, but we're going to follow God. So this is why the laws are all in place. Two witnesses being stoned. Naboth saying, I can't sell you my land. Uh, Ahab understanding that he just can't take the land because of the, because technically, even though he was monarch in Israel, he was monarch by permission of the people. Okay, he, he, he was monarch, but he could not just tell them what to do. They, he, he was kind of a, more like the English style, where the monarch is more of a figurehead in the parliament, but it was more than that. I mean, he had rule. He was king. But there were limits to the power that people would let him have. All right? In other words, don't take my property. You know, you may, you may be king, but, you know, you start taking our property, we're going to rebel. Mm -hmm. So he has limits on it put in by the Pentateuch. So he cannot go beyond what God said. He is king, but God is king over him, and theoretically he recognizes that. And, he, and they recognize that they have five books of the Bible that they're trying to supposedly follow, even though they're not following the five books of the Bible. And they're picking and choosing what they want to follow. And the, the social laws were one of the things they, they wanted to follow because that limited, that limited the king. But these guys know that the king is a nasty, nasty character. He's telling them to commit murder. If they say, no, we're not the next step probably would be to send the army in to destroy the entire village and just take the whole village. So they understand what this is, 
But again, doing wrong even when you're ordered to by your, by your government is still wrong. And they were supposed to have, if they were really following God's way, say, ah, no way, uh -uh, we're, not, we're not murdering this man. And take the consequences that would come with that. Now that's easier said than done. We know that that's easier said than done. We are in a day and age where it's, we're finding out that it's hard to do. Government is coming down on churches. Government's coming down on Christians. And Christians are having to make some hard decisions. Do we obey the government? Or do we disobey the government? And it's coming down to some really hard decisions. And these, these, this one was quite obvious, but sometimes they're not quite as obvious. Um, World War II, when Hitler took over Holland. And he says, I want all the Jews rounded up and sent into prison camps. There were a lot of Jews in Holland. They were, they were key citizens in Holland, so they had to make decisions. What do we do? Do we obey this new ruler that we have that we didn't ask for and didn't want? Or do we disobey him? Some obeyed, some disobeyed. People like uh, the Ten Boom family disobeyed and helped get slave, uh, slaves. Uh, they were slaves, <laughs> Jews, out of the country. Um, so they had the option to say, no, we're not going to disobey God's rules and murder this man in cold blood. Now, I'm not sure they understood that they wanted the land or not or why they want, you know, they didn't really understand why Naboth was being, because she didn't tell them why. She just said, do this. Declare a special solemn feast to God. She doesn't believe in God, so I don't know why she's telling them to have a solemn feast for God. I don't know why they even believed that it would be a big deal. And then they said, set him up. And they did it. You know, they are not guiltless. So they do all this, and they immediately send in, in, you know, the, the messenger to say, okay, tell her, tell her he's dead. <laughs> you know, we've done what you said. He is dead. Verse 15. And it came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. And it came to pass when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab rose up to go to town, uh, go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. Just two verses that have a whole lot in it. All right? She goes, okay, I got the news. He's dead. Yeah, Ahab, go get that land. Now, she has not told him what how he died. This poor guy went out, had his food, and probably went back to bed, still sulky, you know, uh, you know brooding over this. And she comes and tells him, I want to go down and take the vineyard because Naboth's dead. You know, didn't tell him how he died. Didn't tell him, you know, now, did Naboth know his wife well enough to know what she's done? Probably. Probably knew that she has arranged his death but he's not seeming to have a problem with it. You know, he's going, he just gets up and goes down. You know, Naboth's dead, I'm going to go get to land. Now we still have some problems here that are going to rise up if we follow the law. The land that Naboth has owned belongs to his children. Now, we don't know, and it is possible, there's one of two things that have happened at this point. The tradition basically oftentimes would say if somebody was accused of blaspheming God, they took their whole family 
and killed them. So it is possible that they grabbed Naboth, his wife, his sons, and, and grandkids, and everybody threw them in the pit and stoned all of them. It did not say that, but it is a possibility. The other possibility is that the sons look up and say, King Ahab wants our land and he was willing to kill our dad over it. We're not going to stand in his way and try to claim our family inheritance. Either way, it's a bad, a bad, a bad deal. Unfortunately, I kind of believe that they probably took the whole town because bla uh, uh, the whole family because blasphemy was that serious of a crime when uh, Achan took the gold and the garments from, from uh, Jericho and hid them. And the children of Israel lost the battle of Ai and they come back and they go, who is the one that did this? And his name came up. They took him and his family and all, the, all that he had and killed off his entire family because of his sin. All right. Oftentimes, all through scripture, we see this where the entire family is killed when the father makes that sin. So it is possible that Naboth and his whole family died, even though it only said him. All right. Or it is very possible that they were just so afraid of the king, they said, uh-uh, we're not going to try to keep the king from taking our land. It, you know, he was, they're willing to kill, we're, we're not going to challenge it. Um, where did I see? Somewhere I read that, but anyway, it's possible. It's possible he didn't have a family, but uh, unlikely. <laughs> he holds a vineyard, he holds a farm, he's, he's most likely have children, but it is possible he didn't. Um, but I think if they did, they were probably all killed. Or they're all very so afraid they're not going to step up and... You know, hey, they, they, were willing, you know, they were willing to kill Dad over this. What, what will he do it to us? You know, it, uh, <laughs> I never, never knew him. <laughs> never knew the guy. <laughs> or, not, or at least not going in and making a big deal out of it. Oh, we lost the land. He really wants it that bad. We're not going to, to fight over it. Because you're going to lose anyway. He's got the army. I only have, I only have whatever I can... <laughs> rise up and the people didn't help me out either you know the townspeople didn't help out uh, so there's and I you know as much as they try to make these things hidden even in our day the word gets out that the king ordered this I mean it probably wasn't the best kept state secret in the world that this was ordered because at least the elders of the town knew it uh, and how many other people knew it who knows uh, we've got that problem now comes the interesting piece of the, piece of the puzzle. Verse 17. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he goes down to take possession of it. And you shall speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick up your blood, even yours. And Ahab said to, to Elijah, Have you found me, my enemy? And he says, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to the work of evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon you, and will take away the, your prosperity, and will cut off from Ahab all that pees against the wall, and him that shuts up and is left in Israel. 
and will make your house like the house of Jeroboam and the son of Nabat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, and for the provocation wherein you have provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. And Jezebel also spoke the Lord, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. He that dies in Ahab, of Ahab in the city, the dog shall eat, and he that dies in the field shall the fowls eat. But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. And he did abominably in following idols, according to all these things, as did the Amorites, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. This is the curse that was brought up to him. You know, he thinks he's gotten away with, you know, getting this land. Again, we don't know. Ahab, it doesn't show us that he had a conversation with his wife other than go get the land, he's dead. Now, he knows his wife. He probably knows that she arranged for his death, but he never asked a question. He didn't want to know for sure. You know, Plausible deniability. I didn't. I didn't know anything. You know, what are you? What are you talking about? I didn't know. I didn't know how I got this land. My wife just said he was dead and go down and claim it. I knew nothing. I don't know. I didn't know her personality. I didn't know why. I didn't know how. I. I didn't know a thing. It. It, it was the man on the grassy knoll. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, I didn't know anything about this. <laughs> All right. So he goes in and Elijah's told by God, go see him. Go see him. And so he shows up. All right. Um, he, and he's told, Ahab's gone to this land to take possession of Naboth's land. Now again, we don't, we're not told that God even told Elijah how he's getting possession of this land. He's just told, with a, go give this message. One of the things we need to be remembering at times is God does not give us all the details when he tells us to do something. Most of the time, he just says, do this. Uh, you know, Sarah's story a couple weeks ago where she's making this birthday present, you know, putting this birthday to present together and doesn't know who it's for. The person she thinks it's for doesn't show up, so she's giving it to somebody else, and it turns out to be exactly what they want. You know, we think we're doing one thing. God says, no, I've got a totally other plan for you. We think we're saying one thing, and God says, no. This is what I want said, and this is why I want it said. Elijah was never told, you're cursing him because of this murder. You're cursing him because I say, just go give him the message. This is done over and over by God where he just says, say this. There have been times where I have been told, really under the impression that God wants me to do something or say something. It makes no sense. It makes no logical way at all you do it and you find out that's just what the person needed to see or hear or do you know and they'd come in saying god i i really want i really want to know that you've told me to do this and if somebody will say this really crazy sentence to me then i'll believe that you are telling me to do this and that person comes and somebody comes along and says i don't know why i'm saying this but okay god is you spoke you no longer, I no longer can deny it because you said something that makes no sense. All right? And oftentimes, this is exactly what God will put us into a place. Just do this. 
God, it doesn't make any sense. God says, I don't care. Just do what I told you to do. You know, and you may not even know that you've done or said what somebody needed to hear, but you were obedient. This is where Elijah's at right now. Go give this message to Ahab. And so he goes in there, and it says, You have killed and also taken possession. It was bad enough that he killed him. All right, now he's taken possession. David had done the same thing. He had killed Uriah and taken his wife. Now, he didn't take the rest of his stuff. He just took his wife. Uh, and the rest of the family, Uriah's family got the rest of the stuff. He just didn't get to keep uh, Bathsheba. Uh, here he's saying, you have, you have killed. And it's kind of interesting to say is that you have killed. And remember, he doesn't really know for sure what's happened because Jezebel's the one that did all of this. Now, again, he may have been told by Jezebel that I may arrange this. I don't think she was that, was that forthright with him. But he knows her personality. This is like when Joseph is accused of raping Potiphar's wife. Rape was a capital offense in Egypt. Joseph should have died. I think that Potiphar knew his wife's temperament. And he wasn't going to kill somebody that he thought of as an innocent man, but he had to do something. His wife has made a charge. So he's either got to make his wife look bad or the servant look bad. Not really a hard choice. But he's not willing to execute Joseph because he's pretty sure Joseph didn't do anything and this is all his wife's doing. So he puts him in jail. All right? Just about as bad. <laughs> especially in the jails of Egypt, all right? But it wasn't an execution like it should have been. Ahab probably knew that Jezebel had arranged for his death. He doesn't know the details on it. He doesn't know how, but he knows that she has arranged it, and God says, you know. You know. You've come and taken the possession of one that you have killed. And then he says, the dog shall eat up your blood in the same place that Naboth died, in the pit that he died, Naboth, you're going to die. And the dogs will drink your blood, just as they did Naboth. Huh? Ahab. Who did yeah. I say? Naboth. Naboth? Yeah. Ahab, you're going to die the place that Nahab, Naboth died. And the dogs will have another feast. Now, we think of dogs as being these nice little pets. That's not the way they were back then. They were just this side of wild, you could, you fed them, they were semi-tame to you, but they were also very wild. Uh, and you kept them that way. They were your protectors. You wanted them to be on the wild side, that if anybody came into your yard, that they would be attacked. You fed them, they were loyal to you, and that's about as much as you kept them tame. They were not animals that you brought into your house. They were not animals that you put in your bed and fed in. Fed in the bowl in the, in the backyard. You know, they were barely fed and, and very wild. All right? Uh, so dogs were not the same as what we think of them as. They were just, just a little shy of wild wolves. All right? And he says, these guys went out. They went out into the pit, and they consumed, they consumed Naboth's blood. You're going, to be, you're going to be in that same boat, Ahab. And... So this is the message that he was to give him. 
And when Ahab saw Elijah, I mean, Elijah's his favorite person. We know that, you know. He's, he's, Ahab told him it wasn't going to rain until he spoke, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And every time he sees Elijah, he was for three and a half years, he's trying to find Elijah so he could have him executed. Uh, Ahab goes up on Mount Carmel, kills 400, 400 uh, prophets of Baal. Uh, you know, he's not Ahab's favorite person. Whenever he sees Elijah, it is bad news. Uh, Ahab is getting bad news from Elijah. You know, granted, he deserves it. He's a bad guy, but he gets bad news every time he sees Elijah. So when he sees Elijah, it's like, oh, you found me, my enemy. <laughs> but the statement is almost like he was expecting to see him. You know, oh, you have found out. You have found me out. You have found out what's been going on. Or it could just be, what are you doing here again? You know, you're my enemy. Every time, every time you come near me, you've got bad words for me. All right? This is going to be a, a picture of what we have. And Elijah does not even argue with him this time. Remember on the previous time at Mount Carmel, he goes, I'm not your enemy. You're, just, you're getting what you deserve. This time, he's not even going to argue with him. He just says, yes, I have. <laughs> I have found you. He's not saying I'm not your enemy. He's not saying that anything else. He just says, I have found you. <laughs> you know, not that it was hard. God told him exactly where to go. Um, and it says, because you have sold yourself to the work of the evil in the sight of the Lord. He's saying, Ahab, you have completely turned to evil. He is telling Ahab, there is nothing redemptive about you. You have turned yourself completely to evil. Many of us have met or at least heard of people that have turned themselves completely to evil. The only hope for them is the gospel in Jesus Christ. And there is hope. But it's going to take a miracle for them to turn. And this is what he's being told. Ahab, you have completely turned yourself against God. And we noted everywhere that God said that Ahab was the worst king up until this point in time. Now, Ahab's son is going to get the same monocle. He's the worst king since, you know, ever. So he's worse than his dad. And it's almost every king in generation after generation in Israel is worse than the previous king. With no redemptive capacity on here he says behold i will bring evil upon you and take away your prosperity in other words your dynasty is done all of your kids are going to die and he says i will cut off ahab and all the males all the males of your family ahab are going to die and 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 he that is shut up in, and left in israel says is all of your Line is going to buy is going to die. You are not going to have any children left. Your children are going to die. There is nobody to carry on your line. This is the curse that falls upon Ahab. And it says, "And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam the son of Nabat, and like the house of Basha the son of Ahijah." And those are two kings that we should remember. Both of those kings. Jeroboam was the first king of the northern kingdom. And God made a promise to Jeroboam, if you remembered, if you will just honor me, your dynasty will run forever. And the very first thing he did was bring in golden calf worship and do everything against God. And God said, fine, you've been so evil. Your whole line is going to end. And it was two generations after he, after he died that his whole line was, was killed off by Basha. Basha came in. 
God gave him the promise, if you obey me, you, you can have a kingdom. Basha did not obey him. And God, after two generations, cut him off. So God is telling Ahab, just like these other kings lost their dynasty, you have lost yours. You are not going to have a long-lasting dynasty. Now David, on the other hand, has a long-lasting dynasty that was unconditional. David, you will always have a son of your line on the throne. He had some bad children on the throne. But God never got rid of the promise to David because David's promise was unconditional. Even though he had some really bad kids taking the throne, he says, you will always have somebody on your throne. All the way up until the day that Jesus was born, he's a son of David. He was born and he is king. He was king when he rode into Jerusalem and he is still king with his resurrection. He's still king of Israel and will always be king for, for all of eternity. So that day ended all the long line of, of king, kings for, for, is, for David with the culmination coming into the Messiah. Here, Ahab is told you're going to lose your life. You are going to die and all of your family is going to die. And then just, for, just in case, if you want to hide in the cities and die, the, dog, the dogs are going to eat you. If you're out in the field fighting, the birds of the, birds of the air are going to feed, feed, feed you. The ravens and the vultures and the eagles are going to come and eat, your, eat, anybody, eat anything buddy, who dies in the field. So basically God's saying, I don't care where you go, your children, are all, your, all the males are going to die and they're not going to be buried. That's what this statement means. They're not going to get the respect of being buried. They're going to be consumed by the animals. This is a big deal for an Israelite uh, person to not be buried is a big deal. Even in our generation, it's, you know, we expect somebody to bury us or, or cremate us and do something with our ashes, but we expect to have something done. They expected something to done, and God is saying, telling him, your kid, you and your kids are not going to have any respectful burial. You're not going to get in, in, in tombs with your king. You're not going to be, you're not going to be put into a tomb. Uh, and then he says in verse 23, and Jezebel, she's not getting off scot-free either. Jezebel, the dogs will eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. All right, it'll be a few chapters away, but we're going to find out that Jezreel is thrown out a window and eaten by the dogs, and they find a small piece of her palm is the only thing that's left when the dogs get done with her. So, uh, those were hungry dogs. I don't know. I don't. I think it was just to prove that she was dead. <laughs> she didn't get off and walk away from being thrown out the window. Family members of this one, yeah, yeah, because this is the context. We're talking about all of his male descendants of Ahab. Anybody who's his descendant. This probably would include uncles in that line too, possibly, because there's going to be nobody who can claim his throne when he's done. God says your entire... You're so slave. Um, doesn't say that in my version, but it would not... 
it, anybody who would try to come up and say, I'm of Ahab, I, I, I claim, your, I claim his, his uh, throne, would have been killed. Uh, well, when God, well, when God's against you, you never know what's going to happen. You know, these guys are not followers of God, so they're not going to recognize that it was God who did all this in the first place. Because uh, remember, even in our day, when things happen, people don't say this is of God. All right? I believe many of our storms and our fires and everything is God trying to get people's attention. And what's it being blamed on? Global warming. Global warming is calling us all, you know, and God's saying, okay, I'm moving, I'm moving against you. But that is what it's always been. Ben Haddad in the previous chapter, the people said, well, we lost the battle up in Jerusalem, up in the mountains. Their God is the God of the mountains. He's stronger than, he's stronger than our God, which is the God of the valley. So God says, fine, we'll fight you in the valley and, I'm still, and you're still going to lose because I'm God of everything. Yeah. Yeah. All right? And because they dared to blasphemy God, God stood up for Ahab and said, I'm going to take him out. Not because they were giving Ahab trouble. Ahab's a sinner. Ahab deserved whatever he got. But they blasphemed God, and God says, okay, they attacked me. Ahab, you're, 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 I'm going to defeat them, and you get to be the leader of the one, and you're going to get the credit for it, but we're going to go down, and they're going to, they're going to be beat. And so God will stand up for himself even when nobody else is standing up for him. This is our God. He does not need somebody to stand up for him. Now, he does not need us to go defend him. He's perfectly capable of defending himself. He gives us the privilege of standing up for him at times, but he does not need anybody to stand up for him. He can take people out, no problem. The Assyrians surround Jerusalem, and God kills 187 Assyrians in one night with one angel. He says, okay, this army's totally dead. They blasphemed me, they're dead. My people called on me, they're dead. This is the great news. We are facing in our country one of the greatest elections that is a pivotal election period for where we're going. All right? God is in charge. No matter what happens, God is in charge. He can make whoever he wants get elected. Period. No matter, no matter what. No matter how the deck is stacked against anybody or for somebody, God can say... This is who I want. And he can make it happen. We want to keep this in mind that God is in charge. This gives us such great peace when we can know that God is in charge. No matter what happens, God has allowed it. And so we just take rest in it. Now, that doesn't mean we just sit back and don't vote. We don't do anything. But we do our part. And then we go, God... The results are in your hands. Ahab and Jezebel are in God's hands. They think they're above God's, God's rules. And God comes in and said, okay, you have crossed the line. You have gone too far, Ahab. The worship of all these idols was bad enough. Bringing everybody into the worship of these idols was awful. But now you have killed an innocent man just to take his property and God said final straw you've killed my prophets I put up with that I protected a bunch of them you killed a bunch of my prophets now you went out and you killed not even a prophet this is just an innocent man innocent bystander living for God and following God's rules and they killed him and so now a curse has been put on Ahab and Jezebel 
all right? Ahab, your dynasty is over. Jezebel, you're going to be thrown out the window and you're going to die. All right? And then it says in verse uh, 25, But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself into wicked work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up. This is quite an accusation against Jezebel. And against Ahab. Ahab seems to be a weak-willed man that did whatever his wife said, and when she sent him off to do evil... He did it. <laughs> she cracked the whip and he, and he followed. And God says it was evil. All right. Ahab, you should have at least been able to say no to your wife once in a while. And not be doing all of these evil things. Now, if it's a righteous woman, you want to be doing what she says and do the righteous things that she's telling you to do. If you're a weak-willed willed man, you go do the right things. But you don't go out and do evil <laughs> Because this is the accusation on him. You worked evil. You sold yourself to evil on everything that your wife stirred you up to do. She's the one that stirred him up to kill the prophets. She's the one that stirred him up to bring greater uh, idolatry worship in. It almost makes it sound that if it wasn't for Jezebel, he might have made some good decisions and might have been able to keep his kingdom by that statement. You were doing what your wife stirred you up to do. And we know that Jezebel was a wicked person, a woman. You'll, you'll get into her story. and She was terrible. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, more than once, she's already tried to kill Elijah. And so we see that problem going in. In verse 26, And he did very abominable in following idols, according to all that was done of the Amorites, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. So he's following idols. He's done all this evil against God, and he is following the idols of the Amorites. Baal, um, uh, he would be following Baal and uh, Murda, um, Mordach and, and Ashtoreth. He's following all the gods of the people of, of the Amorites. And God's saying, you are terrible. He's probably worshiping the golden calf as well, because that's in that kingdom and never, never falls away. He is, he is worshiping anything and everything except for God. Now he's impressed. Remember, fire falls down in Carmel and burns up the altar. Elijah orders all the prophets of Baal executed and Ahab didn't say anything. Ahab had some tenderness toward God. We see it. It just wasn't enough to stand up against his wife's direction and his heart wasn't really there. I mean, he had a tenderness. He understood that there was a God of Israel, a powerful God of Israel, but he wasn't willing to take a stand against his wife and everything else going on. Verse 27. And it came to pass when Ahab heard these words that he rent his clothes, put on sackcloth on his flesh, and fasted and lay in sackcloth and, and went softly or humbly away. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, See you how Ahab humbles himself before me. Because he humbled himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. Ahab honestly must have repented. And not just show. You know, he tore the kingly garments, he put on sackcloth, 
and he walked away humbly from, the, from this. So it really says he did, it, it indicates that he didn't even take possession of this. He met, he met Elijah and Elijah got him away and he walked away. And he's humbled. Then his sons are going to be. Now his son is not a nice guy. His son's going to deserve what he gets too. Well, they're Jezebel's kids, right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> some of them might have been Jezebel's kids. Now Jezebel's still around, so until for a little while. So, uh, but they've been influenced by her. At some point, they have been influenced by her. But he literally humbles himself so much so that God says it's real. God would, if it was all show, God said, well, he's faking it. He's dead. But God said he has humbled himself. He has repented. And God says now he won't die at this point in time. Now we're going to find out that Ahab's death is not a nice death. He's going to die in a battle. He's going to die in a battle that's very strange. The, the sentence that goes into, this, into his death says... A man shot a stray arrow in the air and it struck him, just happened to strike him in the, in the, in the neck between the shoulder, between his armor. He wasn't being, he wasn't even being aimed at. And he dies. He gets into his chariot, rides back to Jezreel, and guess where he dies? Right outside Jezreel where the dogs could eat his, eat his, eat the, eat his, eat, drink his blood and, and get rid of his body. All right. He is going to die just as God said he would. But it won't be until his son is, is in the kingdom that God says, okay, now the kingdom is going to be taken away and all, all your children, all your, all your grandchildren, uh, anybody who might claim the kingdom in your stead is going to die during that period of time. A bloodbath. You mean even if it wasn't a, a person that was related to them that they could turn around and get bumped off to? If it is somebody, it says specifically all the males of his family. Yeah. But remember what happened in David's day with Jonathan's servant? Mm -hmm. Jonathan's servant uh, that was, I can't remember his name, that was in charge of Mesuvatheth rebelled against David and tried to take the kingdom away from David when David was on the run and tried to lift up Meshivasheth to be ruler. Okay, and he tried to told a bunch of lies and everything and he positioned people against David because he was Saul's servant originally. So yes, in many cases, the servants would have been taken out. God would have known anybody who would have stood up for that kingdom for that king to try to take him and would have taken all of them out. So in many cases, the servants would have been taken out as well, just because. Now, the curse was against his children. But God would have said, we're not going to have another servant rise up and try to make, make problems for, for the new king that's coming in. So yes, many of the servants would have died as, as well. The curse was against his children and all of the males in his family. Um, and so it would kind of depend. But it's just the idea. Ahab repented. He's the, up until this point, he's the worst king of the northern kingdom. He repents before God and God says, okay, you're not going to die. Your, your children aren't going to die. I'm not taking your dynasty away on your watch. But it will be taken away from your son's watch. And it doesn't tell us that Ahab said anything 
you know, about this. There was one, and I can't remember the name of the king. He goes, oh, good, I'm not, it's not going to be taken away. It'll be taken away from my kids. You know, what an, what an arrogant individual that king was. And I can't remember who it was, but he said, okay, not in my time. All right, no problem. I get, I get to have peace in my time, and my, son, my son's going to die. Okay, so my son's going to die. I won't be here to see it. Uh, and it doesn't quite say it that, bl- that bluntly, but it's like, not my time? Okay, no problem. It's all my son's problem. Yeah. Some of these characters are really interesting characters. <laughs> you know, the Bible is full of some really strange people. You know, okay, my, my son's going to lose the kingdom. Eh, I, I won't be around. I'll be dead. Who cares what happens to my son? Yeah. It's kind of a very strange relationship between these family members. But, you know, it's not uncommon in even our world to say, as long as, it's, as, long as, it's, as, long as I'm okay... You know, I, I got to use all of my money. If the, my kids don't get any of it, they lose everything, I, I'm, I'm okay with it. As long as I get my use out of it. This is a wicked attitude. And here in Ahab, we don't see that statement from him. Ahab is, seems to have repented. Uh, now, he's still not a nice guy. We're going to find out in the next chapter. He's still not a nice guy. He has not repented far enough to, to truly honor God but he has repented and said, God, I'm sorry for killing this person or having it orchestrated. Just as when David killed Uriah and he repented, God stood back. There was punishment to David. There was punishment on David's family. But David had had two capital offenses with Uriah. Adultery was a capital offense. And the murder of Uriah was a capital offense, and God forgave him of both of those offenses and had mercy on him because he repented. All right? Very important. We really need to understand the power of repentance before God and God's forgiveness. True repentance wins God's heart toward people. And it's very important, and we need to have repentance turn away from that sin and go forward. Ahab's is short-lived. He's really not going to be turning to God completely, but he is turned in repentance of the murder and the stealing of the property, and God recognizes that. Repentance is powerful. God will allow forgiveness because of his grace. And we really have to get a picture of the power of God's grace and forgiveness because if we start to really understand how much he has forgiven us and how much grace he is showing us, we as Christians should be showing that mercy, grace, and forgiveness to others. Not just the rest of the body of Christ, but to others. Because this is powerful. This is what wins people's hearts when we don't go out for revenge and we forgive. People don't understand it might irritate them. They might think they're getting away from, with it, but you know, deep down they know you had them in their hands. You had, every, you, you, you had them. You could have called the police. You could have, you could have torn apart their, their testimony. You could have done so much, and you forgave them. They may tell everybody that you're weak, but they understand that you're not. Deep down they understand. They may not try to live it out. They may not really understand it. But the power of forgiveness and grace is so much deeper than we can ever understand. And what is forgiveness? Real simple definition of forgiveness. 
giving up my right to demand somebody's punishment. They're guilty. They're guilty. I forgive them. I do not try to punish them anymore and I give up my right to punish them because they are forgiven by me. All right? Very, very powerful. That's not going to say I forget, but I give up my right to, to demand that they be punished. I, I may not trust them anymore. Maybe, maybe what they did was so bad that they're not going to be trusted again. But I give up my right to punish them. And that means verbally punish them, assassinate their, their character and their reputation. I give up all rights against punishment to them. That's where forgiveness really comes down and hits the road. And forgiveness is part of relationships. A husband and wife have to be able to forgive each other of problems because they live together 24-7, hopefully for the rest of their life. <laughs> so if they're holding, if they're retaining all the wrongs and not forgiving, there's a problem. They're not going to have a happy marriage. You're, if you have a friend, we all have had a friend that's done something or said something that hurt us to a degree. Usually with our friends, we're willing to forgive them. But there are some things that we think are just so bad we're not going to forgive. The only problem with lack of forgiveness, the only person that's been put in prison by lack of forgiveness is yourself. Mm-hmm. Now that person might miss you a little bit because you're no longer fellowshipping and paying attention to them. They're going to go on about their business. They're going to wonder what happened. You know, uh, they, they'll forget about the event and you're stewing over that event and you're upset about that event. and. 80 years later, you're still upset about the event and you see them and, they, and that event pops into your brain and, and irritates you and they're going, I don't know why that person's so mad. They always seem to be mad at me. They forgot about it. They, 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 have, they, didn't, they might not even be aware that they did anything. It's so funny when you go to clear the air and say, I forgive you, and they go, for what? For doing this 20 years ago. Oh, uh, I'm not sure what you're talking about, but I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, uh, t- usually the person that you're angry with and won't forgive has forgotten about what they have done. If they were ever aware that they had done anything, you have been in prison with your anger and bitterness for however long it's taken you to learn to forgive. We need to learn to just forgive people and say, I give up my right to demand your punishment. That does not mean God's going to necessarily give up the right to the, punish them. God is going to make consequences come out of what they deserve. Always. Maybe not in the time we expect it or want it or, or desire it, but God will always bring consequences for that action. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Our job is just, as a human being, forgive them. And our courts have it right. You know, when they bring somebody up on charges for things, it's not the person who was harmed who, who brings the charges. It's the state or the government who brings the charges because that's their job. Their job is to enforce the law. If they say, oh, we forgive you, now that's a big problem. The government can't be saying, we forgive you, we forgive you, we forgive you, we're not going to bring penalties against you. We as individuals, our job is to forgive and let God deal with that person. And if it's bad enough to go to the, to the courts and the law, then the court deals with it. All right, my job is just to forgive. 
And God's job is to bring justice, whether it's himself or the courts or the, or the judicial system. It's his job to bring. And, you know, we're going through all these problems where everybody goes, well, this person's getting away scot-free. Nobody ever gets away scot-free when you really understand God. God will bring the consequences. And even if you think they got away scot-free, you know what? There's at least one, two people that know what they did. God and them. And they will always know that they deserved punishment. And it will color their entire life. You know, they got away with, I stole something and nobody ever caught me. But I know that I'm guilty. It haunts me for the rest of my days that I got supposedly got away with something that I know that I deserved punishment for and God puts a conviction on my heart. We know that it's wrong. They know. I don't care if they even believe in God. They know deep down what they have done is wrong. They may have, be full of bluster and bravado saying, I got away with it. I, I, you know, they deserved it. They, they got what they deserved, but they know that what they did is wrong and it's going to haunt them until they learn to forgive themselves and repent from it before God. So don't ever be worried about somebody getting away with something. They haven't. Their own conscience isn't going to let them get it, and God won't let them ultimately get away with it. So Ahab is not getting away with this. He's going to take a horrible death. His wife is going to take an even worse death uh, in all of this process. Lord, we ask you to bless this time in, in, as we go about, Lord. Help us to see what you would want us to see at all times. Help us to learn to forgive. Help us to learn to trust in you for our vengeance. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please today make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.